Are high oil prices here to stay? Oil prices have been soaring as countries around the world emerge out of the pandemic and the demand for oil picks up. Businesses are producing again and consumers shop and travel once more. At the same time, Russia's invasion of Ukraine and the European Union's sanctions on the Kremlin means fewer barrels of oil available. This is a podcast version of an interview that I did with the head of the International Energy Agency. I'm Ling Xueling, executive producer and journalist with CNA, Channel News Asia. The International Energy Agency was created in the 1970s, during another oil crisis that rocked the world. But can this energy watchdog really help stop the current damaging energy crunch? Fatih Birol is the executive director of the International Energy Agency, and he's a respected economist credited with pulling developing countries like India and China into the IEA. He's also known to fight for green renewables, not just traditional oil and gas. Executive Director Fatih Birol, welcome to In Conversation. Thank you very much. Now, what's happening in Europe? What's happening here with Russia invading Ukraine has had a tremendous impact on energy, on oil and gas. But is this something that is a fundamental change or is it something that actually would have happened anyway? It's just speeded things up. I think we are in the middle of the world's first global energy crisis. Some of us may remember in 1970s, we had oil crisis, the inflation, recession, we have seen uh, uh, all of them. The IEA was actually created at that time. Uh, you are completely right, in uh, 74, as a response to that. But uh, today's crisis is uh, different, much more complex, because of the very uh, reason that Russia, until a few weeks ago, was the number one oil exporter of the world, number one natural gas exporter of the world, and a major player in the coal markets. We are not talking about any country. One of the cornerstones of the global energy system. This invasion caused a major crisis, and I believe there will be structural changes in the global energy system. There will be a reorientation of the international trade patterns. Russia exporting oil and gas to Europe is over. And Russia is very important for Europe, but Europe is a very important buyer for Russia as well. Almost half of the Russian energy went to Europe, and Russia get a lot of uh, revenues from sales of energy to Europe. So therefore, Russia needs to try to find a new clients, new customers around the world. Well, people are saying that they can find them in Asia. Yes and no. A bit of a, like a French answer, but yes and no, I would say. Why yes and why no? Yes, uh, for example, in terms of oil, to send the Russian oil to Europe takes about four or five days by the ships. But to send Asia, almost two months. It's not the same thing, logistical issue. In terms of natural gas, a huge portion of the Russian gas is in western part of Russia, western Siberia, and they are linked to Europe with huge pipelines to build new pipelines from western part of Russia to China or India, other parts of the world, will require huge amount of investments, 
construction and a lot of time. It will not happen from one day to another. Therefore, in terms of gas, this is a different story altogether when compared to oil. Sometimes how many years? So I uh, think in, the, in a normal global economic context, if we don't see a recession and the demand goes down, in a normal economic environment, at least one more year, we may see higher energy prices. But there may be surprises. What are those surprises? One is China. If the restrictions in China uh, we have for the uh, lockdowns continues, then the Chinese demand for oil and gas would be much lower. And China being a major importer of oil and gas, it would provide some comfort to the markets. Saying that a slowdown in China might actually have some benefits. For the rest of the world, the world. definitely. But for me, the most important thing is people in China are healthy and the COVID issue is addressed perfectly. Precisely. But it's a bit of a mixed thing, though. When China slows down, all the rest of us slow down as well. But it could help the oil prices, mm. energy prices, uh, uh, definitely. But of course, it is not a good news for the global economy. Now, the second surprise uh, could be, in terms of the prices, yes. uh, if some of the key a Middle East producers are able to bring more oil, more volumes to the markets. This can also help to comfort the markets and put downward pressure on the prices. So these are the two major uh, positive surprises uh, we could have, which can soften the prices. When you're sitting here in Europe and everybody is very concerned about green energy, about moving towards green solutions, but when you're sitting in Asia, that can sometimes feel as if you're saying that we should have slower growth. And it could also say that you're not appreciating the energy security concerns that Asian countries might have. Is that so? In my view, I mean, we have an energy crisis today. We have another crisis, which is the climate crisis. If we are not able to solve our climate problems, we will see several extreme weather events and Southeast Asia is not immune to that. And we have seen uh, several extreme weather events in the uh, Philippines, in uh, Southeast Asia, in many countries uh, over there. The key reason why we have climate change is using a lot of fossil fuels. So therefore we have to find ways to lower the use of fossil fuels, starting with uh, coal, but uh, also others. Many people think fossil energy is secure energy, and the green energy is not secure energy. But now in Europe, we have this energy insecurity because of we have a lot of fossil fuel from Russia. So therefore, if we had, instead of the fossil energy, if we had more renewables or more nuclear power, we wouldn't be in this uh, situation. What Europe has to do to minimize the, uh, our dependence uh, on Russian uh, fossil fuel and in general fossil fuel, try to uh, generate his own energy as much as uh, possible. And if we import uh, energy, we should import from the countries who are not going to use energy as a weapon. But this is a very long-term perspective as well, Executive Director, because if you look at it, um, China still gets 60% of its energy supply from coal-fired power stations. They will not be able to switch so quickly, even with the tremendous goodwill. They are already investing tremendous amounts in solar and wind. Yeah. But this is not a quick change. Power stations are not built from one day to another. It takes decades. In fact, three countries, China, India and Indonesia, three most populous countries in, in, in the world, 
60% of the electricity comes from coal. Yes. But at the same time, coal is the biggest problem for climate change and also air pollution in the cities. Sooner or later, we leave coal behind. And they will look at the other energy sources, such as solar, such as wind, such as hydropower, such as nuclear power and others. You mentioned China and coal, this is true. But what is also true is that China is today number one in the world for solar energy, number one wind energy, number one in hydropower, number one in electric cars. They are in front of everybody. You've said that developed countries should not use energy security as an excuse to stay addicted to fossil fuels. Def, def, Do you def, think def. that's true also for Asia and also developing Africa? When I look at the situation, for example, in India, I cannot compare the in India or an African country with a European country. There are different development levels uh, here. I very much hope that if the in African country is going to leave coal behind and go for uh, more sustainable energy sources, advanced economies provide financial support to those countries in order to facilitate to leave the fossil energy behind. Let's do not forget the advanced economies of today, the Europeans, Americans and others, they use coal years and years and years in order to reach the current economic development level. And if we want to others not to use coal, we have to help them financially looking for more sustainable technologies for them and for the rest of the world. The International Energy Agency argues that nuclear power might be a green option. And they point out that nuclear already makes a significant contribution, providing 10% of global electricity supply. The energy watchdog also argues that the use of nuclear power over the past 50 years has reduced CO2 emissions by over 60 gigatons. That's nearly two years' worth of global energy emissions. The IEA and you actually advocate that nuclear is not a foolish option, that nuclear is a great possibility, also for Asia. But for many of us in Asia, we remember Fukushima, and that is very much in the public memory. So do you really still think we should look at nuclear? I think if the countries, if the people have no objection to nuclear, with taking the all necessary safety and security measures, nuclear may well be one of the key options. In France, where I live, uh, three-fourths of the electricity comes from nuclear power uh, without single risk uh, we are living there. Or many countries in Europe, in the United States, but uh, with one Fukushima incident, which has nothing to do with nuclear, it was an earthquake at the end of the day, I think to exclude the nuclear out of the options we have, may uh, not be the right way. And when I look at today, many governments are putting nuclear plants uh, in place. And I am seeing that the nuclear is making a comeback, a strong comeback everywhere. When I look at the Southeast Asia, I think many people do not appreciate the importance of Southeast Asia. Maybe it is a bit behind the shadows of China and India. But if you look at the population, if you look at the economy, and if you look at the uh, growth potential, Southeast Asia will need tremendous amount of energy in the future. 
and therefore we don't have the luxury to exclude any of the sustainable options we have in front of us. As such, I believe the Indonesians, the G20 presidency, will be a critical uh, milestone for Southeast Asia. Is there anything that we as individuals can do to actually make an impact? It always feels very top-down, but can the individual do anything? Are we supposed to switch off our air conditioning uh, in, in Southeast Asia? I think we shouldn't uh, switch off our air conditioning because our productivity will go down, but it wouldn't harm if the air conditioning is not running at the, uh, full speed and we can be a bit more careful what kind of air conditioner, what kind of comfort uh, we need. We shouldn't go over the board, we shouldn't waste energy uh, in general. It can be air conditioner and I always say uh, the public transportation is the best. I am using public transportation in Paris. We should also uh, look uh, not to waste energy in other parts of our lives. So to save energy, using energy efficiently uh, should be a part of our daily life. Director, thank you very much for being on In Conversation. Thank you very much. Thank you. You've been listening to a podcast version of a television interview with Fatih Birol, head of the International Energy Agency, on CNA's longest-running weekly interview show, In Conversation. When in season, In Conversation airs every Wednesday at 9pm Singapore time on Mediacorp CNA. You can also catch us online at cna.asia or on YouTube. I'm executive producer Ling Xueling, and thanks very much for listening.